Hello and welcome to Re-Energize. I'm David Wallace, a Senior Strategy Manager at the Offshore Renewable Energy Capital, the UK's leading technology innovation and research centre for offshore wind uh, and wave and tidal energy. Uh, recently, we joined forces with Renewable UK and the Offshore Wind Industry Council to host a webinar on a rising star of the drive towards net zero, uh, green hydrogen. Uh, green hydrogen is converting energy from offshore wind into a clean, uh, storable uh, and versatile fuel that we can use not just for electricity, but for heating our homes and fueling our cars, haulage and uh, public transport networks, and for fueling industrial processes as well. For this episode, we've picked out the highlights from the webinar. You'll hear me in conversation with leading policy and technology experts from Orsted, uh, from Renewable UK, uh, the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, and Hydrogen Systems uh, leading manufacturer, ITM Power. My name is Jane Cooper and I look after stakeholder regulations for Ersted in the UK. And I was uh, the, delivery, uh, the, the delivery team lead on on this particular uh, report delivery, working with David over or Catapult and working with the Offshore Wind Industry Council to make sure we're able to, to bring it forward in a timely manner. Running through the key findings, uh, we wanted to first of all address what is the potential size, the potential role for green hydrogen in integrating a, a whole energy system uh, we have a large amount of offshore renewables and we took the 75 gigawatt um, level that uh, and the, the offshore wind sector deal um, is, is talking about for 2050. And re reviewing other people's work, um, uh, doing a little bit of uh, our, our own work, um, uh, it's, it's clear that there's a, there's a sweet spot of um, at least 130, 200 terawatt hours of uh, green hydrogen, of, of hydrogen requirement for integrating offshore wind, therefore green hydrogen, uh, in a range of different, uh, different models, uh, different scenarios uh, where um, uh, modelers are, are looking at whole energy system. Um, and we, we used that demand and we also um, surveyed um, uh, uh, global demand uh, estimates for um, uh, electrolysis, um, which are suggesting up to 4,000 gigawatts of deployment of, of electrolysis to um, uh, really break down what is the cost reduction journey going to be for electrolysis and therefore for offshore winds uh, and also uh, taking our um, our, our knowledge from the offshore wind sector, what is the cost reduction going to be in input electricity costs, therefore coming out with this um, levelized cost of hydrogen projection. Uh, and in that projection, and, and I would say that uh, in the catapult, we've always been fairly conservative in the way we've estimated offshore wind cost projections. We were fairly conservative again in our estimates for the scale-up of, of electrolysis uh, and therefore the, the cost reduction. So taking our fairly conservative approach, we see 
um, uh, green hydrogen uh, in scenarios um, with either um, offshore um, uh, hydrogen being produced at offshore wind, wind farms or hydrogen being produced um, uh, onshore but, but sourced from offshore wind farms uh, with um, PEM technology for electrolysis producing green hydrogen. We see the green hydrogen uh, uh, being lower cost than uh, blue hydrogen by 2050. And, and we also did uh, cost reduction estimates for um, uh, SMR and ATR, the, the two main um, proposed ways of, of producing blue hydrogen. As I said, we're fairly conservative. Uh, we, even during the project, project, I think many of you will be, will be aware of just how fast uh, the space is moving. Uh, it was moving too fast for us to keep up with this sort of project, with this sort of level of detailed modeling. You have to freeze some assumptions at some point. Um, we've seen, I'm sure others have seen, I think um, some of the other panels will talk about this, uh, the, 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 um, the market, the um, uh, policies have been um, setting out um, likely deployment of um, electrolysis, green hydrogen going much faster than what our assumptions were. And, and our assumptions, as I said, were driving that cost reduction journey. So that's certainly something to look out for. Um, and, and we are very keen to uh, have another um, uh, uh, go around with our model with um, uh, updated uh, scenarios from others. Um, but uh, that, whatever that um, speed of um, uptake, uptake of deployment of electrolysis is, that's the key for driving the cost reduction. Uh, uh, that that's um, what the, the the learning rate is is based on. It's it, it's not something that happens automatically over time. It only happens if you drive the reduction, um, and that also um, helps to drive the technology acceleration. And what we did was we were able to pick out the main components within the black box of electrolyzer, and say how much each of those can contribute to um, a cost reduction journey. So with all that, uh, what we're really keen to do in the report is get to that final um, view of what does this all mean for the, the UK economy? What is the potential for this? Given that, as, as we'll hear later on, we're in a very good position um, in academia with, with the, the knowledge base that we have there around um, green hydrogen electrolysis and fuel cells and so on. Um, but also the position that we are in uh, with some of our leading technologies and companies um, in the UK. Uh, we looked at, at two things, not just the potential for um, uh, that um, electrolyzer market and, and exports uh, for, uh, for UK producers, manufacturers, but also um, uh, in that uh, 2050 picture, um, how much additional offshore winds have we been able to unlock through having green hydrogen, through having affordable green hydrogen production. Uh, so we, we looked at the, the economic potential, the jobs and the um, gross value added to the economy of, of both of those sources. Um, and uh, as you see there, in the, in the high estimates, um, in our summary of key findings, we just um, highlighted the high estimates, <laughs> um, but the full details of all that are, are in the report. Um, 
so uh, um, uh, from electrolyzers and offshore wind total, um, uh, the, there's up to, we see, uh, 320 billion of cumulative GVA, of which, as we've emphasized here, 250 billion uh, we see as potentially being exports from the UK, um, primarily of, of uh, electrolyzers, with some of that coming from uh, additional exports uh, from um, the offshore wind sector directly. Um, this sustains up to 120,000 additional jobs, um, so uh, 120,000 uh, new positions uh, continuously sustained um, by uh, 2050. Much of that outside of London and South is because of where um, we expect manufacturing to be of electrolyzers and also because of where the offshore wind supply chain, where the value of that is located around the UK and uh, coastal areas. Um, we also uh, looked into some of that potential for exports of the surplus energy that, that we can be providing uh, from offshore wind through green hydrogen. Uh, and, and that could be um, up to um, 48 billion pounds um, per year, which is comparable to, to the best years of uh, what um, the oil and gas sector has contributed to, to the UK economy. So there's potential to, to replace that. Thank you, David. And over to you, Barnaby. Good morning, and thank you very much, everybody. Um, so, uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Barnaby Wharton. I am Director of Future Electricity Systems at Renewable UK. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with Renewable UK, but we are the trade association uh, in the energy sector, and our members are building the, sort of the future low-carbon energy system. And we published uh, last week uh, our report on renewable hydrogen, seizing the UK opportunity. And really, the, the main message that I want you all to take away is that it, the UK has a huge opportunity right now. This is about to become, I think, a very large a global industry, and we have all of the ingredients uh, to make the most of it and bring a lot of benefits to, to the UK. Uh, and my approach to this has really been to think about it. Hydrogen has been around for a long time. It, it's not a, a brand new thing. We've been doing it for, um, I think, over 100 years now. And so I thought, okay, are there other sectors, are there other sort of technologies we can look at um, that have been around for a long time, but we've just uh, you know, really grasped and, and really made a difference quite recently? And, and you know, the wind sector has been through a huge amount of change over the past uh, couple of decades. And I think there are a, a huge number of lessons uh, to be learned. Um, the, the big question is, is about cost. Um, and renewable hydrogen is currently relatively expensive, but only uh, 20 years ago, you know, the prices for, for offshore wind today were being forecast at, at around, you know, well over 150 pounds a megawatt hour. Um, and we have seen that cost drop hugely. And um, you know, 2012, the, the offshore wind industry said, we're gonna, we're gonna be contracting projects in 2020 um, at, at 100 pounds, that was the target. Um, and as you all know, uh, last year we had uh, CFD auctions coming in at, at uh, well under £50. So we see huge cost reductions. And, and what has driven that? And you know, the, the, the main things that I think have been driven is, you know, firstly, 
really clear commitments from government, um, very clear market frameworks, uh, and you know, it's sort of just endorsement and a, and a plan and a strategy across business and government to deliver this. Uh, and we've seen that being continued in the industrial strategy, and that's going to continue to grow the offshore wind sector. Uh, and that's going to be critical for, for hydrogen future as well. Um, what we've also learned from wind is, is about innovation and how rapidly things can change. Again, if, if the sector is and government are committed to it. Um, only 10 years ago, you know, the idea that you'd have a 10 megawatt turbine uh, was astonishing. Uh, and now we're talking about 20 megawatt turbines. They're going to be 300 meters tall. And obviously floating as well is becoming really important and, and a really interesting picture in the offshore wind sector, which again, is going to be really important uh, for hydrogen in the future. And the, the, the next lesson I think we want to take away from the offshore wind sector is by supporting uh, the, the deployment of offshore wind, we've really supported uh, the supply chain in the UK. And we have got thousands of jobs across the UK uh, in the offshore wind sector, you know, supporting what is a world leading industry here. And again, that's something we I think can do in the UK with hydrogen, uh, because we already have a world leading supply chain. And I'm going to hear more from, from Graham a bit later on about that. So those are the, 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 the key ingredients. And I think there's so much we can learn from, uh, from offshore wind. Um, so, just to then roll on to bit, you know, why hydrogen? There's a lot of hype about hydrogen right now, and I think quite rightly, um, yeah, we need to decarbonise the UK. You know, we, we, as you all are well aware, we've got our 2050 targets. Uh, we've done a great job in power, but we are really lagging behind in pretty much every other sector. Um, chart on the left, you can see that uh, you know, industry has fallen, but that is as much by you know, industry has decarbonized, but also we have offshored a lot. Uh, but the other sectors are, are kind of flatlining. So we need to decarbonize them. Electrification is going to go a long way in, in heat, uh, in service transport, I think in particular. Uh, but what hydrogen can do is link the, the generation of renewable electricity and the huge resources we have, particularly with offshore wind, but also onshore solar uh, and actually uh, wave and tidal as well. It can, it can link the electricity sector with the, um, with sort of the molecules and I guess sort of the gas sector as it were. So we can really take a whole system approach and those, in, those things like sort of industrial heat, which needs to have really gas for, for, for the, the intensity of the heat and as, as well as industrial processes. Um, and it can, you can take things like marine and long distance freight, which I think is going to be hydrogen over batteries, but there's a huge debate about that. But we can link those up. And that, that's why hydrogen is going to be so important and renewable hydrogen in particular, because we can be truly zero carbon. The other thing that hydrogen can do is become a really great partner with, with wind. And there's a lot of detail in, in the report from the catapult on this. And if you haven't read it, do. It's, it's a great report. Um, but you know, obviously wind is variable in its generation. Uh, and what hydrogen will enable is to take the excess electricity that, that we have from wind when the, the grid doesn't demand the electricity, we can put them to hydrogen. We can build out much, much more renewable generation uh, and make it directly to hydrogen production and, and bring much more flexibility to the system uh, that will help decarbonize electricity. Uh, and it, it does that with long-term storage. Uh, the chart on the right here is the past 12 months of wind generation. And you can see that 
uh, it is very variable, both sort of very short term, this is weekly averages, and over the year. And we're just about to have Storm, Alex, Andre, Andy, whatever, coming through. Going to be lots of wind generation. We shouldn't be wasting that wind generation. And hydrogen can provide a way to, to capture all of that renewable power. So, yeah, from decarbonisation point of view, from, from a system balancing point of view, uh, there is this massive opportunity uh, that will yeah, reduce costs, reduce emissions, uh, and that's all very positive. Um, but I think as well as that sort of system benefits, there's also the, the economic benefit. Um, and uh, uh, David's already touched on this as well, but yeah, there is going to be a huge market for hydrogen in the future. Um, you know, one estimate, $2.5 trillion by 2050. Uh, that's a massive market. Uh, the UK has got fantastic resources uh, to, to produce renewable hydrogen and capture some of that market. Uh, so we really mustn't, need our, really mustn't lose out on that. Uh, alongside that, there are many, many jobs to be had. Uh, again, the catapult, and David mentioned this, 120,000 jobs across the sort of uh, green hydrogen and offshore wind uh, economy. Uh, and with it comes all the necessary skills. Uh, and that's going to create revenue and value for the UK. And the other thing to be really aware of is the UK is really well placed in terms of academic uh, and research institutions. We're really good at this stuff in terms of just the, the research and knowledge that we have in the UK. Uh, and we obviously have some of the world leading manufacturers as well. So very briefly, how do we deliver on all of this? Um, next slide, please. So our, our paper makes five recommendations. Firstly, hydrogen strategy. Um, we, we really want the government to set out um, kind of what we're gonna do with hydrogen and why. That will enable business to understand the direction of travel, it'll support investment, uh, and sort of kickstart that economy. Uh, we need a plan for the first gigawatt of capacity. You know, what are actually gonna be the projects, the demonstrators uh, that are gonna start this start this economy off. Um, that'll kickstart the supply chain, uh, it'll drive investment, it'll drive excitement, and it'll support a really diverse range of business models. Because th th there's loads of different things we could do in this sector. Um, some work, some won't, but we need to try them all out and see which, which do work. Once we've got that first gigawatt, uh, let's have a plan for the next, for the first five, the first 10 and more over the next so 10, 15 years, and link that to a cost reduction target uh, and I think the experience from every other aspect of the low carbon energy sector has been that cost targets are smashed. We saw it in wind, we've seen it in batteries, we've seen it in solar. So let's let's repeat that and learn lessons of the past. That can be delivered by a, a market mechanism. Uh, you know, we've seen again CFD or similar, it, it reduces risks for projects, it brings in capital, it brings in low cost capital uh, and once you've really got that that economy and that, that, that industry moving, you could then move to, to a, a market model. And finally, none of this is going to work without a demand side policy as well. We need to know where this hydrogen is going to go. Um, long distance freight industry. Let, let's get some of those demonstrators going as well. The Gigastack project with um, Orsted and ITM, who are here today, with Phillips 99, looking at, at the role of hydrogen in, uh, it is refining, I think, uh, is going to be you know, critical. Let's try those things out. Thanks, Barney. Uh, also, right on time. We've, uh, <laughs> that's great. Um, I would just say it's Philip 66, not Philip 699, um, just to be clear. 
thank you. And can I hand over now to Graham Cooley, CEO at ITM Power? Yeah, thanks, Jane. And uh, thanks, everyone, for joining this webinar. Um, I'm the CEO of ITM Power. We're an electrolyzer manufacturer um, in Sheffield. Um, and I'm going to talk you through um, this from an industry and, and production point of view. Um, so look, I just wanted to talk to you about why hydrogen and why now. I think um, uh, both David and uh, Barnaby have touched upon this, but um, uh, uh, just from our point of view, um, the acceleration in the market has been incredibly rapid over the last year or even six months. Um, what's the reason for that? Well, first of all, the, the falling uh, uh, cost of renewable power and the increase in volume of renewable power has done two things. It's reduced the cost um, of green hydrogen. And the cost of green hydrogen is dominated by the cost of the renewable energy. And of course, the volume um, increase as the cost of renewable power comes down means that there's a larger requirement for energy storage and for grid balancing. And the importance of that um, and the use of electrolyzers for that is increasing. Um, and also, policy has been very important. Uh, we're no longer looking at 80% decarbonisation in the way that we were a number of years ago. We're now looking at net zero. And of course, green hydrogen is the only net zero energy gas. And so consequently, it's important for those two reasons, uh, cost and also policy means it's become very, very important. And the result of that and the result of some um, a, a very large uh, funding packages has meant that the industrial in interest has very rapidly increased. Uh, the largest package that's been announced is uh, from the EU. Um, and, and all of these packages are green hydrogen packages. They're not um, blue hydrogen packages. It's green hydrogen. 140 billion from the EU over the next decade. 40 billion euros for capital equipment and 100 billion euros over the next decade, 10 billion a year for contracts for difference auctions um, to fund the commercial model for the development of green hydrogen. Uh, we also um, have a target in the EU for six gigawatts by 2024. That's in four years. So a, a very important target because it's not a 2030 target or a 2050 target. It's tangible projects over the next four years. And to 2030, there's a target of 40 gigawatts. Um, in Germany, Holland, Portugal and France, all of their um, electrolyzer targets have been announced. Um, five gigawatts in Germany, three to four gigawatts in Holland, Portugal, two gigawatts. And only a couple of weeks ago, the announcement in France is six and a half gigawatts. This is electrolyzer targets um, uh, for capacity over the next 10 years. Um, why ITM Power then? Well, we're a UK manufacturer. We're moving in in November to the world's largest electrolyzer factory with a capacity of one gigawatt per annum. And we have some very strong partners. And I'm going to tell you more about our partnership, particularly uh, with Orsted. Um, so um, 
um, in terms of the uh, commercial rationale uh, for hydrogen, look, it, uh, one of the key things about hydrogen is energy storage. And I think Barnaby touched upon this earlier. Um, I spent many years in the power industry looking at energy storage. And what we tried to do was store electrons. And actually, electrons are very, very difficult to store. Um, actually, the, the easiest way of storing renewable energy um, is to turn those electrons into molecules. We know how to store molecules. We've been doing it for 100 years. Um, and so what you now have is the possibility of, of storing renewable energy and applying it to some of those industries that would be difficult to decarbonize without molecules, like the gas grid, uh, like transport, and, and like uh, the massive existing market of renewable chemistry. Um, the size of the gas grid, 800 terawatt hours flowing through the gas grid in the UK. We use 700 terawatt hours of fuel. And in Europe, um, the existing market for hydrogen is already 400 terawatt hours. So in the chemistry industry, we're not looking at a new market. This is an existing market that needs um, decarbonizing. The other point about hydrogen is it gives renewable energy companies a new product. So today, a renewable energy company, its product is green electrons. Uh, gives the possibility of a product green hydrogen and the possibility of arbitraging between those two products. And just to give you an idea of market size, refining alone, if you were to decarbonize 10% of the hydrogen at refineries, that's 90 billion euros worth of electrolysis equipment. And I think Barnaby gave a global figure uh, for electrolysis at 2.5 uh, uh, trillion dollars. So these are, we're talking about massive markets and therefore a massive opportunity for the UK to manufacture equipment and to export worldwide. So um, one of our largest projects um, is the projects in Humberside, Green Hydrogen for Humber. We work very closely with, with um, Linda and that's uh, ITM Linda Electrolysis with Orsted and Philips 66. Um, why Humberside, first of all? Humberside is the most uh, carbonizing industrial cluster in the UK. It also happens to have uh, the main substation for landing the offshore wind from Hornsey 1 and Hornsey 2, uh, respectively 1.2 and 1.4 gigawatts. And, Hongzi 1 today is the world's largest offshore um, wind farm. So um, uh, it, it's a fantastic demonstration of the use of green hydrogen. We couple 100 megawatts, and it's a front-end engineering design right now, but we're coupling 100 megawatts to the uh, 1.4 gigawatts of Hongzi 2, producing green hydrogen with a pipe that goes over the fence directly into the refinery at P66. So it's on-site production of green hydrogen to decarbonize the refinery. So in terms of manufacturing, um, this is our factory um, in Sheffield. Um, it's Bessemer Park. It's just off the M1. You can see it from uh, traveling northbound or southbound on the M1. It's 134,000 square feet. 
as I said earlier, we move in, in move the um, manufacturing equipment in in November. Um, I moved into my office um, as the first employee to move in a couple of weeks ago, um, and uh, it has a five megawatt test bay, fully ATEX rated test bay, five megawatt power supply, um, and a capacity of a thousand uh, megawatts or one gigawatt per annum, and it's the world's largest electrolyzer factory. So I, I just wanted to end with uh, what we need in the UK um, in terms of energy policy so that we can scale green hydrogen, reduce the costs and get to the point where green hydrogen is a replacement as soon as possible for methane. And, and, and if you look at um, energy gases, um, of course, methane is the largest energy vector on the planet. We're also interested in uh, replacing petrol and diesel in transport. And I think we are looking to the government to have a focus on green hydrogen in the way that the EU and other EU countries are focusing on green hydrogen. And I think that's important because, of course, we have the richest wind resource um, across most of the world in the UK. It's an astonishing opportunity. And we need to incentivize volume so that we can reduce costs. Um, specific asks would be that in transport, there's a workable RTFO. Um, RTFO is the Renewable Transport Fuels Obligation. And today, for hydrogen, it's very difficult to um, access. Power to gas energy storage. We are looking for... Um, a level playing field with biomethane. Today, there's a tariff structure for putting biomethane into the gas grid. There's no green hydrogen tariff structure for gas grid injection right now. And third, there needs to be a very large scheme for fuel switching for industry. So the industry can move from coal and gas um, and gray hydrogen to green hydrogen. So they would be my policy asks. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Graham. Thank you. Uh, and now we're going to hand over to Rita Wadey, Deputy Director of Hydrogen at Bayes. Rita. So we've heard a lot from other speakers about the UK context and why hydrogen makes sense, but just to give you the the government position on that, you know, the UK set a benchmark for legis by legislating for net zero, um, and we see that hydrogen is critical in, it's a handful of critical technologies that um, are necessary for really deep decarbonisation, and that was supported by the Committee on Climate Change, who, who from November 18 in their hydrogen report said that it was an important tool to be used selectively in the energy system, and then by the time they published the, the net zero report said that moving from 80 to 100%, as Graham has said, leaves nowhere to hide and makes hydrogen an essential part of the strategy. I'd like to say how much I welcome the report on solving the integration challenge. When the sector deal was in development, me and other colleagues in Bayes were keen to see that hydrogen was included and to go from just four brief mentions in that document um, to the publication of this report and Renewable UK's recent statements is important and timely um, as we're seeing um, the interest uh, in the role of green hydrogen in meeting net zero and Paris commitments increasing as Graham's been 
setting out. It's a really important addition to understanding of the potential of, of offshore wind and hydrogen in the UK context um, and to the evidence base that is um, we are developing and gathering to support the UK strategic approach. Um, you know, as David said up front, it's a very fast moving area and we too are having to update our own assumptions and scenarios as are the CCC on the role of hydrogen. We can't know what that's going to be um, exactly in the future, but we do know that it, it reduces the system cost of meeting net zero in nearly all scenarios. And we know that the UK has a, a near unique position um, in terms of geography and geology and our ability to produce hydrogen um, from renewable sources, but also produce CCUS-enabled hydrogen, which I'll come on to a little later. And also um, the nature of our energy system at the moment means that we've got a lot of good use cases for hydrogen in a variety of end-use sectors in the way that perhaps some other countries do not. So it allows us to have the potential to develop um, a market in supply and demand that we is valuable for the UK, but also potentially useful um, for exports, as, as these reports have set out. Um, we need action in the 2020s to provide assurance and drive down costs and secure investment and capture economic benefits. Um, and I think we're clear that it's not an either-or discussion with electrification. Um, it's about hydrogen being a complement and an enabler to um, a deeply renewable energy system. Um, and as, as others have said, that, that capacity for a decarbonized gas in the system at scale that can provide the storability and flexibility that methane does in our current system will be highly valuable. Thank you for listening to this month's episode. It's time to de-energize until next time. In the meantime, uh, you can read the two reports discussed during today's episode by visiting the links in the show notes below. You'll find more news and analysis from us at ore.catapult.org.uk and by following at ore.catapult on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you.